Hey guys, it's Rob. Um, just a quick disclaimer, this episode was recorded Thursday last week, April 27th, so just a heads up when we reference some of the shows we're talking about on this episode, they may be one week behind or slightly out of date. Alright, let's get to it. What's up, everyone? This is Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host, Ben Brandlinger, broadcasting from Brooklyn. And I'm Robert Denfeld, out in Long Beach, California. So in this episode, we're going to tackle spring TV and uh, cover a mix of returning shows that just started their new seasons and also throw in a few others that are starting back up in a few weeks. So these will be more or less uh, quick hits on each show rather than deep dives so we can cover a lot of ground. I would say that there's an avalanche. Yeah, avalanche of TV at the moment, probably more uh-huh. than ever. It's the the peakiest peak TV we've ever <laughs> seen, so it's hard to just pick a handful. But these are all shows that uh, either Rob or myself really enjoy, like to talk about, and recommend that you watch. So these all have the MGF uh, seal of approval. But first, it would be a travesty not to quickly touch on this one piece of relevant news in the world of Must Go Faster, and that is the return of Jeff Goldblum, a.k.a. Dr. Ian Malcolm, to the Jurassic Park universe. (laughs) Oh yeah, the original voice of reason in the Jurassic Park universe is back, Dr. Ian Malcolm. Oh yes, life finds a way, Rob. Life finds a way. way. (laughs) So as most of you know that are listening, the name of this podcast, Must Go Faster, is a tribute to the line uh, from Goldblum's characters in both Jurassic Park and Independence Day, and it was just announced that he'll be reprising his role as, quote, cocky mathematician Dr. Ian Malcolm in the fifth installment of the Jurassic Park series, which is scheduled to come out next summer. We really don't have any other details other than that. Um, All that's been announced is he'll be in it, but... That's all you need to know. Needless to say, we're excited. I mean, come on, the podcast is must go faster. We have to mention this at the top. Uh, He's also going to be in the upcoming Thor sequel. comes out Uh later this year. So maybe we'll be seeing like a gold bloom assance, uh-huh. similar to the McConaissance right. from a few years ago with Matthew McConaughey. I coined that. I don't one. know if so he's going to win see... an Oscar though. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't think he's going to do what McConaughey won for uh, Dallas uh, Buyers Dallas Club. Dallas Buyers yeah, Club. Yeah. I, I I don't see Goldblum taking that kind of chance, but we are still very excited. Uh, so yeah, we just wanted to mention that and to start with our first show, which is Fargo. Lock the door. Call state police. I'm going to search the rest of the house. No, Mom. It's not the Minnesota I grew up in, I tell you that. The gloves are off now. Not a pretty picture. Feminine hygiene deployed as a weapon? Unfathomable pinheadery. Stravette! Clicks and buzzers. I'm clear. My chi, I can feel it. So this is the uh, FX show, which is inspired by the classic 90s movies, uh, 90s movie from the Coen brothers. Uh, But it isn't an adaptation of that story. It more so borrows from the world and tone of the movie, the quirkiness of the characters and kind of the bleak comedy and spurts of violence. So I I wouldn't say you need to you don't need to watch the movie first in order to understand the show, but it'll help provide context, context and, and understanding of the Fargo world. So its third season just premiered. There are two episodes in, and it's from uh, Noah Hawley, who you may know from Legion. He's a creator and showrunner. And two episodes into the third season, um, I would say you also don't necessarily need to have seen all the seasons to understand this story. Right. I definitely recommend you do, but each season is more or less contained. Yeah. And they all tell a new story in a different time period. Yeah, I was going to say real quick. Uh, Before you dive into it, um, there are little subtle connections between the seasons and little subtle references, even more subtle references to the film, uh, the Coen Brothers film. But like you said, you don't necessarily have to watch all of them. We highly recommend it because they're all great. But yeah, yeah, you, you can just start with this third season if you'd like. But I don't do that. Season <laughs> yeah. two is ridiculous. And, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh-huh. Um, so they all circle around. The story for each season is some crime more or less happens in the first episode in this town of, of Fargo. North. It's North Dakota, right? Or is that the in like the very snowy, frigid? Yeah, cold, Fargo uh, is in uh, in North Dakota, but it, a lot of the show is in sort of like Minnesota um, and the surrounding yeah, surrounding or, towns and areas. But they all kind of come back to Fargo, South Dakota at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, 
It's you know the bleak, wintry, <laughs> snowy region of the country. Yeah, I would say the story has like it's a very like chain reaction of events type story. Something mm-hmm. happens in the first episode, and one thing leads to another, kind of like the dominoes fall. And it reminds me right. of Breaking Bad in that sense. Right. And I would say this is overall my favorite TV drama running today. Um, what I love most about about it is the filmmaking. So. I'm going to just do a quick run of like parts of the filmmaking that I love. So everything, you know, the like the tight and like masterful editing that's very evident in each episode. Uh There's they do a lot of extreme close ups and like slow fades. I mean, if you're really into like filmmaking technique and you're, you know, a a movie buff and you you know a lot about directors, you really it's kind of just like uh, I like visual like eye candy for you in a lot of ways. I mean, I think. The, the camera angles that establish each scene from like an entirely new perspective. They're just really creative with how to like where to place the camera to establish a shot. The style, the opening credits, which are unique to every episode. The lighting, they just have these amazing contrasts with yeah. the snow and the interiors. Is, a lot is of natural amazing. light. Yeah, and just the way they build tension. Um, the music placements of kind of these obscure old pop songs uh-huh. that you've never heard of, but you just kind of immediately fall in love with. Yeah, the music just is the execution of it all. Yeah, sorry, the music is it's kind just of so like, freaking cool. Yeah, the music's kind of like a character on the show. It's like a driving force. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, they are a lot of classic songs that maybe you you can't place right away, but uh, you know, it, it kind of makes you want to go back and listen to them. Um, yeah, it's yeah. a really really amazing filmmaking uh on television like you said um and and i it's sort of a like it's a really hard show to put your finger on like what is it thematically and you know people ask you uh, i've been talking about it with some people and and people haven't seen it and it's like so what's it about you know is it does it tie into the coen brothers movie and it's kind of a hard show to summarize but it's it's basically like a petty crime gone horribly wrong um, in <laughs> yeah. middle America, sort of uh, unsuspecting victims, uh, maybe not like trained uh, perpetrators, you know, maybe like somebody that shouldn't really be committing right. a crime is trying to execute something a little over Has, their like, head. Has like good intentions. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And, and things just, you know, lead to interesting results and, you know, at times very <laughs> serious consequences. Um, and and yeah, just uh, a lot of human drama and really quirky, funny, Very funny scenari- yeah, funny yeah. scenarios uh, pop up and and yeah. yeah, I think the cast too. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say the I mentioned the cast quickly. So each season has an entirely new cast. Season one starred Billy Bob Thornton, Colin Hanks, Allison Tolman, Martin Freeman, who you know from Sherlock, among uh-huh. others. Season two had Patrick Wilson, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, who's in Breaking Bad, Ten Danson, who's the screen legend from Cheers, amongst other things. And then season three has Ewan McGregor, uh-huh. who actually plays two roles, two different characters on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I really like from uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane. And yeah, just all these performances are are awesome. The the accents, the, I wanted to rattle off some character names, so... These are like very, if you know the world of like Fargo and the Coen brothers, these will make sense. But like Gus Grimley, Lester Nygaard, Lorne Malvo, uh-huh. Peggy Blumquist, <laughs> Nikki Swango, Floyd Gerhardt, Hansi Dent. I don't know. It just yeah. like they get really playful with the names and I'm into that. It's great. And um, I just, yeah, quickly want to talk. Like season two, I think I mentioned it in earlier episodes. It's just like so majestic and amazing it's it's one of my favorite seasons of television ever set in 1979 it's super surprising going back to the filmmaking they do these amazing split screen sequences Uh where you know the screen will split into two three four different screens different action will be present and it's just like a really powerful like storytelling technique Mm -hmm. and i just really like how that's used in season two uh the performance of Bokeem Woodbine yeah. as Mike Milligan is electric. Amazing. You cannot take your eyes off him. Once he comes, he comes in in like the third episode or something, but it's like, he really steals it for me. Um, there's this sequence, uh, the, the, it's called the Jabberwocky monologue. It was brillig. And the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the moor groves. And the moon wraiths out grave. Beware the Jabberwock, my son. 
The jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jub jub boyd, and shun the frumiest band of snatch. And as if in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock with eyes aflame came whiffling through the tulky wood and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through, the vorpal blade did snicker snack. He left it dead, and with its head, he went galumphing back. So, um, yeah, this scene is just so intense. The editing, the way he delivers that monologue, it's very ominous. And uh, his performance, I, I don't know, I just think it's, it, people have talked about it, but I, I I don't know. He was the star of that season for me and probably yeah. like the driving force <clears throat> of why I loved it so much. So season so, three is on now, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm loving Fargo. Yeah, it's airing on, on Wednesday nights on FX. Um, it, I think it's mm-hmm. 10 consecutive Wednesdays. Uh, we're on the... Last night was, or whenever you're listening to this, uh, last Wednesday was the second episode of the third season, so eight more weeks, and uh, you know, you you were saying you loved the second season. Um, I I loved the first season as well, as I'm sure you did. Um, yeah. And Billy Bob. I, I, yeah, and Martin Freeman was so good, but I was really mm-hmm. curious going into the second season, like how are they going to follow that up? And the first season was so well executed. Um, so well acted and and you knew that it wasn't going to be uh, a continuation of that story it's all new actors um and i was just amazed by the execution of the second season it's it's really a completely different story with very very subtle connections to the first season uh i wanted to shout out the the first episode the the very first episode of the first season was just unbelievable um do you remember that it's i think it was called the uh the crocodile's dilemma or something. I, I, I didn't write <laughs> yeah, it down, but it's something familiar. like that. Yeah. Uh, but that, it I sets mean, if, everything if in guys, motion. Yeah. So. I think if anybody that hasn't seen the series just goes and watches the first episode of the first season, they'll be, you know, pretty instantly hooked. Um, this third season, uh, it's pretty amazing. Like I was watching the first episode with my girlfriend yesterday and uh, she said, you know, like, how is it so good already? You know, it's it's so compelling. <laughs> yeah, I like the premiere of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it draws you in instantly. I saw the, uh, episode two. Like, we're recording this on a Thursday, so last night was episode two, which was definitely a bit slower. I, I didn't love as much as the first. Uh, okay, first I haven't watched that one season, yet. But um, but yeah, the the show like crescendos nicely. I mean, in the first two seasons, like the last three or four episodes are like pure suspense like literally like every scene is like edge of your seat so right um yeah i'm sure you know season three will pick up like yeah as in the past seasons but ben you may recall um the 25 page paper i wrote in our uh media society and and culture class uh our our junior year eight or 2009 yeah Yeah, i think it was 2000 yeah 2009 probably Uh, wait yeah, Doctor Wait. Yeah, uh, so the <laughs> the paper was titled "The Comedy of Crime," and it was basically a, a deep dive into the potential societal effects of the Coen Brothers film catalog. And so, obviously, I'm a, a huge fan of the Coen Brothers and and the movie Fargo, and that that is essentially what this show is too. It's the comedy of crime. It, it's it's playing off of serious crimes and things that you know in other contexts are very serious but in this show at times are very funny and and sort of uh played upon in a humorous way so uh yeah i just wanted to shout that out i thought it was a i i just remembered that i wrote that that <laughs> probably the, i think it's the longest paper i've ever written actually so it's kind of funny yeah it's your life's work it's actually yeah <laughs> yeah your, your your number one legacy um, um so, awesome. so that's fargo yeah yeah fargo um so in this third season stars Carrie Coon, which is a nice tie-in to our next show we wanted to talk about, which is the HBO series The Leftovers. So this series, uh, like I said, a good tie-in is Carrie Coon, um, stars Carrie Coon and Justin Thoreau, uh, Christopher Eccleston, among others. Um, 
It's an HBO hour-long drama series, and it's currently on its third and final season. Um, we're two episodes into this final season. Um, it's it's a show created by uh, Damon Lindelof and Tom Parada, and Tom Parada wrote the novel of the same title, uh, which the show is based on, and Lindelof is best known as the co-creator and showrunner of the ABC phenomenon series Lost, uh, excuse me, Lost, uh, from the 2000s, you know, which was such a, you know, critical Needs and no introduction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone's heard of Lost. And uh, the show, um, the premise is basically we pick up three years after a global event called the Sudden Departure. Uh, and this event saw 140 million people, 2% of the Earth Earth's population, uh, sort of inexplicably vanish off the face of the Earth at the exact same moment. So, so we pick up three years after this event, and it's kind of in the aftermath of this mysterious happening. Uh, mainstream religion is on the decline. People are living sort of in a state of shock and fear. How did this happen? You know, is it going to happen again? Where are these people? Are they dead? Are they like floating, you know, in some alternate universe yeah. somewhere? Um, is it or were they chosen randomly or was there a reason behind it? So they're just everybody's sort of living in this state of, uh, you know, shock, I guess. Is the, yeah, yeah, uncertainty is a good way anxiety. to put it. Yeah, anxiety. Um so sort of these subcultures and cults are popping up, um, most notably this thing called the Guilty Remnant, this group of people that wear all white and they don't speak and uh, basically just walk around and smoke cigarettes and stare at people and like try to convince <laughs> other people to join their cult and, and feel guilty about... Sounds like about... a crappy cult. Yeah, I, know. I know. As far as cults it go, I don't know. It seems a bit like... Uh, it's not that great. A bit vanilla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and they, they like all live in the same house together and they uh, they try to, you know, get other people to feel guilty for going on with their lives and forgetting about this, you know, this happening. But um, so the show, I would say the first season is is quite challenging and tenuous at times. Polarizing, and, right? Yeah. Some people really didn't like it. I saw some critics say like it was like the best thing they saw that year uh -huh. and then other critics were like i i hate this show yeah so it made it, it made quite a big turnaround like i've actually let me say i've actually never seen an episode of this show right um but i know i have sensed that there was this huge turnaround from season one and two as far as uh it, it didn't become as polarized I, I know certain critics really came on board in season two and said that you know this really took like a huge u-turn and and i'm all in now and it yeah. seems like it's just gotten better and better from there i would agree with that um i did enjoy the first season but it was it was sort of a you know like a slog at times you're kind of thinking like why am i still watching excuse me why am i still watching this yeah. or like what what's what's the draw here but it's it's just sort of like in it's impeccably acted. Uh, there's some unbelievable like sci-fi mystery writing tropes and and things like in Lost that just keep pulling you back in. It's like you want to ultimately find out what happened and and you're kind of on your edge of on the edge of your seat the whole time because uh, you're just kind of fascinated by by this event and and the mystery of it and you want to you want to learn more about it and you know at at times it's frustrating because you're not getting the answers you want and there's just more questions popping up just like lost was doing for you know hour upon hour yeah. i wonder um i was going to say i wonder given that you said yeah this is the last season Yes. And the fact that they are able to, um, they have that defined already. I think one of the issues with Lost is it kept going and going and they didn't, you got the sense like halfway through, it's like, well, how, like they're just going in this like aimless direction of like, uh -huh. we just want to keep making episodes and they That's didn't really point. have like an end in sight. So I wonder if this, even though it's from the creator of Lost, it'll have more, I'm sure there'll be still mystery in the finale, but yeah. more of a resolve <laughs> and like, it, it'll probably make it a nice like package, like kind of when you know it's going to end. Like, I think they announced that like two years ago that it was only going to be three seasons or yeah. something. So, well, and it's different from it'll Lost. It'll probably improve. Sorry, it's different from Lost in that it has, it's based on a source material and I haven't read the novel um, Tom Perota oh, yeah, or yeah. Tom Perota wrote, but yeah, so I mean... I guess there is an end to the book, so there must there must ultimately be an end to the 
to the show and and like in Lost they it sort of felt like they were making it up as they went along. I'm I'm not sure how much uh how similar this is, but yeah, it's it's a cool show. I, um I mean, definitely not for everybody. Uh <laughs> yeah. it, it's I want to watch it eventually for sure. Yeah, people can maybe go back to in in a year or two or when in a downtime in television which you know seemingly never happens anymore, but um yeah, I mean it's cool. It's a cool sci-fi. Could happen with this writer's strike. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if you've heard much of this writer. Sh- that's that's the topic for another episode. Right. But uh, there could be a writer's strike soon, so we may have some free time to watch some other uh, shows. Um, but yeah, no, I I do wanna do wanna get get around to it. Um, I put it on my list. Yeah. So uh, in continuation of the HBO uh, theme, we're going to talk about Silicon Valley now. So this is HBO's tenpole comedy on Sunday nights, along with Veep, and they recently had its season four premiere, which I thought was really good. And the show is basically about the trials and tribulations of this small uh, tech startup trying to make it in Silicon Valley. Um, it's created and written by Mike Judge, who you may know from Office Space and King of the Hill. Mm-hmm. Has a pretty interesting comedy background there. Um, and I think this show, it's, it's really authentic. It's very true to the competitive, not that I've worked in Silicon Valley, but I have worked at startups and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it has this, uh, you know, the competitive nature of Silicon Valley and the world of tech startups, kind of the egos and personalities, the ambitions and at times faulty aspirations. And I, I do enjoy kind of like the business and entrepreneurial entrepreneurial side of it, Uh but it is ultimately a comedy and the five main characters, um, who make up this company have really come to their own throughout the four seasons. I think they're each pretty hilarious in their own way. It's kind of the the engine that keeps it going is kind of the chemistry between these five characters. So those are played by uh, Thomas Middleditch, T.J. Miller, uh, Martin Star, uh, Martin Starr, and uh, Kumail Nanjiani. I believe that's his uh, <laughs> last name. And I believe uh, Zach Woods as well. Uh-huh. And you've seen uh, TJ Miller and uh, Kumail have really been the breakout stars of this show. And But I think you see like all these guys on commercials a lot now. I was going to say. And I just want to uh, shout out quickly. Yeah, they're, they're kind of like everywhere in, in television. Uh, that uh, Kumail has this movie called The Big Sick coming out later this summer. And I noticed it was a big hit at Sundance. And okay. I think it's going to be kind of a movie that audiences are really going to fall in love with. So just cool. keep, keep your eye out for The Big Sick coming out later this later this summer. Cool. And I, I really get a kick out of Jared, who's played by Zach Woods. Uh-huh. Um, he did a, a stint in The Office. He's just like so straight laced and is like a really nice balance between the rest of the cast um i i just think he he the acting is really great and mm-hmm. the show it, it gets funnier as it goes along i think it's just gotten stronger throughout its seasons it does a nice job of kind of pivoting to z- towards each season to make it feel fresh for example this new season focuses on on richard who's played by thomas middleditch uh leaving his company to try and build a, a new internet which is pretty ambitious. Yeah. And I, I really like the opening sequence of this premiere, which had Richard as an Uber driver kind of picking up this venture capitalist and kind of like it was like entrapment to get him to pitch him about this new business. And uh-huh. I just thought it was very well done. Um, it, the show is very vulgar, which I think yeah. they use to their advantage. Mostly and TJ they Miller. Do a, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's great. And it has a – the, the show – has a nice use of uh, rap music, I've noticed, yeah, particular in the closing credits. Uh-huh. A lot of times, like, the credits will hit, and I'll be like, oh, this is a dope rap song, yeah. and I, like, pull out, you know, Shazam, and I'm like, what is this? And I add, so, uh, it's, you know, another benefit of watching this show. You get some some nice rap recommendations. For sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I really enjoy this. It's not, you know, a groundbreaking comedy, per se. It's right. not, you know, I wouldn't give it, like, a 10 out of 10 rating, but it's really, really strong. It's enjoyable. It's a 30-minute mm. watch. And uh, I think, yeah, we need, you know, in 2017, we need a show about kind of this startup world because it's it, it's only gotten bigger over the last, you know, 10 years. Yeah. And it's, it's nice to have a show that kind of portrays that in a comedic way. Yeah. And I think it, it sort of parodies that the culture at times, just the uh, like oh, the totally. m- millennial driven, uh, you know, like Google atmosphere at startup work. Startup culture. Where, yeah, yeah. There's like a the slide. Bu- the buzzwords. Yeah. There's like <laughs> yeah, a, a, a slide, slide yeah. down into the, the, you know, ball pit or whatever in your office. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of that yeah, culture, yeah, totally. like uh, making fun of it at times. But um, 
I find this show to be an easy watch. Um, you know, it's yeah. it's it's light and and you know doesn't take itself too seriously. Although it does hit on some, you know, pretty culturally relevant topics and and things that things that apply to you know life as we know it now in in the startup world. Um, I would say Thomas Middleditch, uh, who plays Richard Hendricks, the main character. I kind of. Uh, find him excruciating at times and like hard to watch it's the one thing <laughs> about this honest, show yeah like i mean he has he a is, nervous energy always yeah he's always like kind of on edge and I, yeah I, I could see that definitely so uh, people that haven't seen the show you may recognize him as the awkward and obnoxious spokesman for verizon's unlimited cellular <laughs> data which uh you know he. Like, i just think maybe you hate those commercials <laughs> i i well i hate the commercials for sure but uh i i already didn't love his energy uh from this show but i mean it, yeah. it's fine i i get past it and um you know it, it is it does work for who he is he he is uh you know he plays yeah. the the modern uh anxiety riddled uh you know ceo at 25 or whatever how old he is 30 uh who's just a brilliant coder wants to um, change the world you know yeah has that like zuckerberg ambition that definitely. you know a lot of i think a lot of you know startup founders have that kind of personality yeah but um, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily know, so. have like the the social uh social experience yeah there's that... never been like a strong you know it, it's interesting there's never been like uh any sort of romantic storyline i mean you right. know there's kind of they have like one night stands and things but you know they they haven't had a you know someone come in and, and be like you know they're in a serious relationship with this person how it yeah. affects which is kind of refreshing i think yeah it is they um they haven't had to to go down that road yeah there's not like the date episode or whatever yeah yeah totally um so yeah, do you want to? Uh, that that's Silicon Valley, uh, and we want to continue with uh, a few other HBO shows. Um, Rob, do you want to talk about uh, your boy John Oliver? I do. So uh, <laughs> last week tonight with John Oliver. This is the uh, the HBO series, um, thirty minute comedy um, sort of news program. Uh, usually airs, I believe, at eleven p.m. I, I always watch it on HBO Go, so I'm not exactly sure. Um, but it, okay. it 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 follows up all of the you know serious uh, whatever show is running currently on on HBO at nine or ten p.m. The whatever drama series right now it's uh, the Leftovers that we mentioned earlier. Um, but yeah, so this show. It's it's John Oliver um, hosting, and pretty much it's just John Oliver at a desk. There's no uh, guests, right? Or is are um, there guests? Sometimes there are guests. They've had a few interviews like at the desk, but mostly it's just him yeah. doing a long. I feel like long, all the clips that have gone viral are of just him, like just him deep diving into some topic. Yeah, yeah. I found they did a few interviews in the first couple seasons, and I found them to be slightly awkward and maybe not as successful as they thought and i think they've sort of gotten away from that and it it works better as just sort of this you know him at a desk uh you know spilling the news and but they it's not just him talking they they feature a lot of clips of local and national news stories and Mm -hmm. uh a lot of a lot of content that's you know not just it's not just him uh, speaking to you in the camera um it's really really funny it's hard-hitting um, they, they touch on all big news, uh, events of the week, previous week, sorry. Uh, so it's called last week tonight. It, it airs on Sunday and they basically talk about Monday through Sunday morning and they cover whatever big news happenings, uh, of the week. Um, but also I would, I would say they, uh, there's always a highlight. There's always a main story as they call it of the week. And sometimes they're not things that are per se relevant, uh, that week, but, um, things like gerrymandering or, uh, you know, the school system of America, um, tax reform. Yeah. Kind of shining a light on things that affect like everyday people, but aren't necessarily like the hot news item that week, totally. which I think is really important to, you know, 
put attention towards that. I mean, I would say John Oliver, his show, it's the closest thing to John Stewart that we have right now. Right. Which is, uh, I think that's very important to have someone who's, he's not exact as good as John Stewart, but he's in the ballpark. And I, I really like how they drill down. They do these deep dives, as you mentioned, on these specific topics mm-hmm. and really just like unpack them right. from every angle. And, um, you know, of course, there's a, there's a liberal bias to it. Right. But it seems like they 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 use a lot of facts and um they're really good about editing in clips and, and you know kind of just using uh actual things that happen you know they're yeah they'll edit them in a way that may show a bias but they're not you know making things up here well and, um, and i think it, it benefits from i was gonna say i think it benefits from only being once a week right it allows them to really have their writing be really sharp and focused i mean it's obviously harder to do if you're doing it every night of the week mm-hmm. but um but yeah, it, it works really well. It's been a huge success for HBO. I feel like. And well, John Oliver, you mentioned uh, John Stewart. He got his uh, John Oliver got his start on The Daily Show as a uh, correspondent, and he actually filled in for um, John Stewart for uh, I don't know maybe a month or two. I, I I'm not sure exactly when. Um, yeah, I think I remember that. John yeah. Stewart went on to to film a or to direct a, a movie. And so, so John Oliver filled in for him at the desk of the daily show. And that's kind of how he, he rose to be who he is now. Um, and I just wanted to mention the, uh, and now this segment on, on this show is a really, really funny, they, they follow up like a really serious story with, uh, and now this, and it's just like a hilarious thing. Like some of them are like the, the awkward sex talk on CBS this morning. Um, <laughs> and it, it's always features, like you said, it has, the show has a, a, a bit of a uh, liberal lean to it, but mm-hmm. it really just shows clips and, and lets you decide for yourself. And it's like, totally. it cuts back to John Oliver's face and he's like, holy S you know, it's like, <laughs> there's, there's no, there's no denying that what you just heard is ridiculous. And like, you know, yeah. some of the stuff that people are saying today in in the news are, is just hard to, hard to really wrap your head around. Um, and, you know, obviously with Donald Trump, uh, there's, there's content just A sort of making of itself. Content always. Yeah. yeah Sean the, Spicer. The gift keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Right. Um, but it's a nice, it's a nice 30 minute, uh, you know, funny, albeit sort of scary and often alarming <laughs> at times because it, it sort of sheds light on things that, uh, shouldn't be so, uh, easy to parody, you know, but yeah, it's, it's subject matter that's topical culturally and, and politically relevant and important. So, yep. uh, it, it's a really fun watch. I, I highly recommend it to anybody. So uh, last show on HBO that we wanted to do a quick hit on is Veep. So this is the uh, political comedy on HBO that I think pretty much everyone has at least heard of. It's been around, I think they're in their sixth season now. Yes. And um, I want to say, I actually just started watching this show. Uh, so I'm about five episodes into season one, but oh, really? I felt strongly enough to, yeah, I don't know, for whatever reason, like I never got into it over the last few years, huh. but um, just started watching and uh, yeah, felt compelled strongly enough to to recommend it because I think those yeah. first five episodes already established itself as like, this is a really smart, funny really sharply written and acted comedy. So it's basically about the day-to-day operations of working in Washington for for the vice president. She starts out uh, as the vice president. I know her story evolves from there, but it's uh, her name's Selena Kyle. It's played by Uh, Julia (laughs) Louis-Dreyfus. Selena Meyer, excuse me. Oh, Selena Selena Kyle is is Catwoman. Batwoman, yeah. Or or it's it's, uh, it's Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Man, thank God I don't do this podcast alone or else that's right. uh, really embarrassing. <laughs> that's funny. This idiot thinks bat or Catwoman Selena is... Uh, man, all my pop culture references are getting swirled in my head. But anyway, no, sorry. Uh, thanks for calling me. No, no, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so played by uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who everyone knows from Elaine in Seinfeld. She's obviously awesome in this. And oh, yeah. I've heard people you know, in politics, you know, listen to various political podcasts and things like that, say that this show actually is the closest to reality, not West Wing or House of Cards. There's maybe some other shows that you think would, would kind of like mirror what, what 
the day-to-day is really like. They say Veep actually is very accurate. That is... Especially kind of how fragile the egos are. That is frightening. And they do a really nice job of, yeah, showcasing that. And, yeah, like I said, the writing is so sharp. The pace is really quick. The the jokes move very fast. Um, As opposed, you know, Silicon Valley is a bit more, like, long form and, and, like, punchlines. This is, like... It's like a joke a second. And um, it, it reminds me of like Parks and Recreation in that way. Um, also with kind of the ensemble cast and just the right. density of the jokes, the overall pace. And yeah, I was a really amazed by the pilot episode. I was really amazed by how well they established the characters and their personalities all in the first episode. There were mm-hmm. like after the first episode, I was like, oh, there are already like six characters that I slightly already care about. And I know why they're funny like i i understand their perspective and what makes them funny and that's a very hard thing to establish so quickly so yeah i'm going to continue watching this i plan on catching up to the current season and uh mm-hmm. definitely recommend if you haven't checked it out you know like i said it took me a while to to get on board but i think especially with you know the climate of of today i think it's uh, a really enjoyable watch yeah i think the strong suit of this show like you said is the ensemble nature of it and that any given episode you could have hilarious moments from you know 10 different actors and characters and yeah you're never quite sure where where the funniest uh, moments are going to be um it's obviously driven by uh julia louis dreyfus uh playing selena meyer who has won the uh primetime emmy for outstanding lead actress in a comedy series five years running so every single <laughs> oh, yeah. season of this show so that just shows you like the the success that she's, she's like having. the best tv actress ever Pro- probably yeah <laughs> between mean, elaine easily, and this I mean, and um what was that new and old adventure old oh yeah adventures of new christine which i never saw yeah. but i heard was good but pretty solid I mean, yeah, yeah veep and seinfeld like I, I mean she's on the mount rushmore of like tv actresses for sure and then Tony Hale, who plays Gary as her, sort of her assistant. Oh, yeah, he's great. He has won two Emmys for his role, Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series. Uh, the show has won comedy writing Emmys and casting Emmys. Um, so it's just sort of unquestionably one of the funniest shows on TV right now. And it um, it's an easy way to start the work week, you know? It's like a nice, uh, funny 30 minutes. Uh, it, it's hard-hitting at times in that it's sort of... Uh, touches on political issues in a in a way that sort of scares you like i said it's sort of frightening that this is the most realistic uh uh portrayal of of politics today um i don't i hope that's not true but i unfortunately i think more I think so the ego <laughs> yeah i mean obviously like you know and i think uh i i heard like the way it's most accurate is kind of how fragile the egos are right. and just how uh, competitive people are. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the show's just like heavy on them insulting one another right. and you see how it like affects them. And I think that, yeah, I mean, people in Washington, they, you know, they're on power trips and they, <laughs> uh, but they are like, I think insecure in a lot of ways. And I For think sure. the show does a good job of reflecting that. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. So, Highly recommend this. I have seen every season. I, I, mm. I watched the first season uh, live when it was airing, and I think the second season. Then I, I sort of missed a few seasons, and I went back and watched all of them again. So I'm I'm caught up to the current episode, and I'm really liking the way uh, people that are caught up uh, know what I'm talking about, the way that it's it shifted this season into sort of the aftermath of what happened at the end of season five and and picks up where all of the characters are currently and how they've all transitioned. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really great. And, uh, another one that we, we both love that leads us into a new, let's break away from HBO a little bit that that was four (laughs) HBO shows in a row. Um, all currently airing that segment. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 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 Um, so we wanted to talk now about the Netflix comedy series, Master of None. Whoever you're dating now at this stage, it could be who you end up with. It's a big decision. It's hard. Now, how many women did you meet before you decided on mom? Two. Two? That's it? What was wrong with the first lady? It's a little bit too tall. As soon as he stood up, I was like, oh, no. You have to learn to make decisions, man. So this series... Um, Season one was released on November 6th, 2015, and as Netflix does, they they uh, released or dropped all 10 episodes at once on that day, and season two 
is being released on Friday, May 12th. So pretty soon, a couple weeks now. Um, and this show, it's a series created by Aziz Ansari and Alan Yang. Um, and Ansari um, plays plays Dev, the main character, and you know people know him from Parks and Rec, and uh, he's had comedy. Yeah, he's had some stand up kind of comedy. Yeah, totally. Um, he's he plays a thirty year old in New York City, uh, sort of you know going through. Uh, the first season focuses on one single relationship he's having with uh, a girlfriend, and just sort of the the struggles of maintaining a relationship in New York City, and you know balancing work and relationship status he's an actor yeah he's 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 an actor but not like i wouldn't say he's like super ambitious like he's kind of like content with like doing like commercial work and like Uh you know he he, it's kind of like a low stakes lifestyle and i heard someone say which i thought was was pretty accurate that's a good way to put it um yeah but it's uh it does touch on kind of that side but it isn't a show i wouldn't say it's about like show business or really about his like acting career as much at least in the first season it's more about this relationship, mm-hmm. him hanging out with his friends, the kind of conversations you have, right? Uh, how you kind of what your priorities are in life, and, yeah. and you know different perspectives based off people with different backgrounds. Yeah, that's one of my favorite aspects of the show is just the uh, sort of like the hangout vibe of it. It's Definitely. you know uh, Aziz Ansari Dev hanging out with. Uh, a group of his best friends and re- recalling things that have happened to them and events from the the day or whatever and just easy easy topics and I would say the writing is really sharp to this show. Um, it actually won a primetime Emmy for outstanding uh, writing comedy mm-hmm. or comedy writing, excuse me, um, for the episode Parents, uh, which I wanted to mention. Uh, written by Alan Yang and Aziz Ansari and. Aziz's parents are actually featured in the episode, um, and his dad is great. Yeah, they were trying. Mom to... is pretty bad. I got to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean she's fine. <laughs> but the dad, is, the dad is very funny. The dad's yeah, yeah. hilarious. Yeah. So they were trying to find some Indian actors to play his parents for the episode, and they really couldn't find two people that worked and that sort of got what they were going for. So uh, they ultimately just casted Aziz's parents and. It turned out to be a huge hit, and that was the episode that won them the Emmy. Um, and I saw on I think the, the trailer, dad is in. I was gonna say I think the dad is in like a Broadway play right now really? or something. He like huh. got other work. I remember Aziz joking afterwards that like a <laughs> he's lot gonna of be a bigger like, star than me. afterwards, and he's like, "I need an agent, man." Like, yeah, you know, and and huh. I think was actually getting calls from, uh, yeah, from different agents about projects, and I. I thought I saw something on social media recently of him like at his opening night of this new play. I'm not 100% sure, but I think he's like gotten other work. So that's wow. like a really crazy consequence. Yeah, of that. I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he's really funny on it. And I actually, uh, I'll talk about the trailer in a second, but I did see uh, Aziz's parents again on the second season trailer. So I'm excited to see them uh, uh, come back for another another take and and Yang's parents are also portrayed but I believe those are or I'm, I'm sure those are just actors uh, playing his parents um, another episode that was cool in the first season was uh, when they they're trying to find like a taco stand to go to or uh, like oh, which yeah, food like truck yeah and they spend like yeah. you know the first 10 minutes of the show just trying to <laughs> like google the best restaurants and it, it's just like a really good interesting yeah if, it's a funny take on like modern uh, society where people can yelp uh, you know a hundred different restaurants or or Netflix uh, looking through Netflix trying to find a movie to watch and you can't decide on things and it takes you know two hours later you're not watching something you know it's just funny um, this the first season actually won a Peabody award for writing which I thought was fascinating um, it was in the AFI American Film Institute Awards. Uh, in the top 10 TV programs of the year for 2015. So it, it had a, a lot of critical uh, success and a really snappy, fun, easy uh, show to watch. I remember I watched all 10 episodes over a weekend. So, you know, it's five hours yeah, same. and I, I consumed it very quickly. So I the think second I was going to say the, uh, go ahead. Or I was going to say, just talking about the first season, uh, just a little bit. Um, it seems like the thing that people most, talk about this show when they they say how much they like it is how quote unquote like real it is 
yeah. for like our generation. You know, if you're in your mid twenties, early thirties, um, just how people interact with one another, what they talk about, the slang they use, right? Um, and I, I think that is very true. I would say. I really like this show a lot, but I would say it's like slightly almost overrated. Like, it, like you mentioned all this acclaim it got. Um, I think it's really, really good. I just think, I don't know. Some I've heard some people say that this is like one of the best shows of the decade. And it's like this pure reflection of young adults. And <laughs> there is some of that, but I think in the first season, there are a few episodes that I, I, I don't think I've watched again. Like some of them are very rewatchable. There are a few others that I, I wasn't as much of a huge fan of. But I still, as I said, Rick, really like this show. Um, it takes chances. It reminds me a bit of Atlanta and how yeah. it was a, a blend of comedy and drama and, and just really covering topics that you rarely see on TV. Right. Uh, I think that's what how it got most of its attention. Like that parents episode you mentioned, like there hadn't really been an episode that focused on your parents from that perspective and that kind mm-hmm. of relationship. Um, I don't know, like it, it felt very, very new. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious to see, you know, what new topics they, they take on in, in season two. Sull'eco del concerto Che insieme ci trovo Ripeterò Ancora la strada Che mi porta I'm excited for the season two. Uh, there's a trailer out now on YouTube or anywhere. I think it's on Netflix as well. Um, it features Aziz in Italy, which is uh, touched on at the end of season one. He is presumably learning how to make pasta, which is what he he wanted to do at the end <laughs> awesome. of the season. Um, there's some cool like black and white stylized sequences uh, in the trailer. Yeah. Um, possibly a whole episode to be in black and white. I'm not sure. Um, I mentioned his parents make another uh, appearance and there seemed to be a sequence of Aziz on a number of dates. So I think that'll be interesting to see, you know, the first season we said was it this one relationship. And so this presumably he's dating and in that world. So that'll be, that'll be cool to see a different take on, uh, you know, his perspective on, on the dating world. Yeah, I wonder how much time they'll spend in Italy. I imagine it'll be maybe like the first two or so episodes. And then they'll definitely, and they show in the trailer, he comes back to New York. And I think actually New York City is a big part of this show. It's almost like its own character. And um, I want to make this comparison. Uh, our boy Chuck Klosterman, who we both uh, love. Oh, yeah. Measures. Yeah. I remember him mentioning a few years ago on like a Bill Simmons podcast. They were talking about the show Entourage and then how like, he enjoys Entourage mainly, like, sometimes he'll just put it on mute, and it's like a, <laughs> he almost sees it as, like, a travel show for yeah. Los Angeles. Like, That's they're cool. just going to, like, the nicest places and, and you know, restaurants and, and clubs oh. and, you know, outdoors areas, and it's just kind of like, look how beautiful Los Angeles right. is. And I think uh, this show kind of does that a little bit for New York, hmm. but not, like, for, like, the non-touristy uh, areas and neighborhoods and kind mm-hmm. of the restaurants and in bars and in different subcultures in New York. It does a really nice job, um, you know, having lived in New York for almost seven years and in Brooklyn, like, um, yeah, I can tell you firsthand that it, it does a really nice job of showcasing New York culture in that way. Nice. Um, the emphasis on food yeah. is a big part of the show. Aziz is a well-known foodie in real life, so right. he applies a lot of that to this show. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this to come back. I think it's going to have a lot of, there's going to be tons of buzz because the first season was really well liked by people of our age and, yeah. uh, it's really well shot. And I like how similar to Fargo, they use a lot of obscure music and kind of like repopularize, uh, repopularize songs. Uh, like I know Toto's Africa and the uh, turn of the Mac are in season one, which are both two huge, uh, college bangers yeah. we were in, in, in back in, uh, Radford. Yeah. And, uh, I really like, yeah, the music placements. And uh, yeah, overall, I'm just uh, I'm really excited for this to come back. Yeah. And there's still time to catch up on the first season. Um, Like I said, the season two starts or drops on Friday, May 12th. So, you know, it's only five hours. You can get caught up pretty easily. And it's going to be one of those shows uh, that that sort of comes and goes really quickly, I I feel, because it's one of these Netflix series that's only going to be 10 episodes again, I believe. Um, so, you know, people will consume it rather quickly and then talk about it, write about it, et cetera, and then, and then it'll be gone. But, you know, it'll be a really enjoyable little piece of work, uh, you know, to start out the summer. 
Um, and I have to mention quickly uh, Eric Wareheim, who plays Arnold, mm, uh, yeah. Dev's best friend on the series. Um, just a really, really funny role and character. Uh, Large man. He actually, yeah, <laughs> massive man. Uh, they're sort of like the the big and small comedy duo. It's yeah, it, it's yeah. sort of like they a, do a bu- nice. It's essentially like a buddy comedy. This show. Um, yeah, yeah. And Wareheim actually directs some of the episodes. I think he's he's credited right now with five uh, five episodes that he's directed, but they've only they've only credited two episodes so far of the second season. So he may have he may have directed even more. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a well made show and and really fun watch. Nice. So do you want to yeah let's do you want to move on and dive into this? Yeah, let's round off our TV discussion with a big one. It is the return of Twin Peaks from David Lynch. So, uh, the third season of Twin Peaks is coming out on May 21st on Showtime. Uh, If you're not familiar with Twin Peaks, it's this show. They did two seasons back in the early 90s. It actually aired on on ABC, Uh primetime television, which is, if you've seen this show, is just kind of crazy to think about David Lynch uh, product being on like ABC primetime. Like so it's just weird. mind blowing. Yeah. But, um, it was a huge hit. I mean, I remember my dad telling me like when this was coming out, there was so much buzz. Like it's a show that if the internet was around, like would have just caught a blaze. Right. And it was still like a huge hit, especially in the first season. Um, there's a very simple premise of this show. It's essentially a murder mystery in this small, um, Pacific, uh, Northwestern town of twin peaks. And this detective, um, play uh, Detective Dale Cooper is his mm-hmm. name, uh, is brought in from the outside to kind Kyle of McLaughlin. investigate this murder. Yeah, Kyle McLaughlin, who's a great character in this show. Yeah. And, you know, why this show, I think, really works is that it takes, you know, David Lynch, who you know from uh, Blue Velvet and Eraserhead, he's this auteur director who at times can be very, you know, uh, self-indulgent, but has a very singular vision Mm -hmm. and is a bit of a creative genius in a lot of ways. Yeah. But I think the show, it it takes Lynch's vision and creativity, but combines it with the kind of constraints of a soap opera. This show is, is basically a soap opera and I've never enjoyed a soap opera in my life, but (laughs) you add Lynch's style and the way he approaches material and the writing and the directing in it, you put those together in like a blender and it's something like entirely unique and unlike anything else especially at its time, I think now it's become very influential for shows, but at its time there was nothing like this done. Yeah. And you think like David Lynch soap opera on paper, you'd be like, this could be a disaster, but it works so well because Lynch needs to work within kind of these conventions of a soap opera. And it allows the show to just be, to be just Lynch enough without getting like too self-indulgent or experimental. It's like his take on the soap opera genre. And there's just, just the right amount of balance between mm-hmm. like weirdness and kind of the mundane life of this town. Uh, there's all these like, I mean, the characters are great and the acting. I mean, there's all these like interesting ticks that Lynch does a director. There's a lot of like shots of, of wood and like right. machinery. He's uh-huh. like really into that. And it's just, it creates like a very unusual, cool experience. Yeah. The score is really good in this show. There's so like good. three to four different music beds uh-huh. that they use throughout. But once they play that score, you're like immediately, it's very soap opery, yeah. but you're immediately like put into like the emotion of that scene. You're yeah. like, okay, this is a set, you know, and it, it just works really well. It kind of transfixes the world building. You. Totally. Oh yeah. It's a very just like elegant and chanting score. Uh-huh. And the world building is amazing. The entire show, uh, and, I will say, actually, I've only seen the first season, which is eight episodes. I, I'm right. going to start the second season. Hopefully, we'll be done with it by the time the third season starts, which is three times the length. I know is a bit longer and is a bit more up and down. The first yeah. season, though, is excellent. And I, I love the world building, and I'm, I'm really excited for this to come back. This is going to be a huge deal uh, when it does. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm interested to see 
where it goes, and um, it's it's written and created again by Mark Frost and David Lynch, uh, and it is a continuation of the series. But I'm just curious to see how how much it ties in with the the original two seasons. Um, you know, obviously it's been almost or over 20 years since those yeah, first yeah. seasons came out. So, you know, I know Kyle McLaughlin is reprising his role, but, you know, he's obviously much older and it'll just be interesting to see, see sort of where, what approach they take to, to the new season. Um, it's going to consist of 18 episodes I saw, which uh, is and kind of a lot. he's directing all 18. I yeah. Lynch yeah. David Lynch 18. directed all 18. Um, two episodes I saw have been selected to, uh, to be screened at the 2017 Cannes Film Festival, mm-hmm. uh, which which is right starts right before uh, May 21st, which is when uh, the series premieres. Anyway, um, yeah. So this season or this series, you mentioned you've only seen the first season. Um, I would say the second season goes a bit beyond in terms of the. You were saying like it it sort of contains Lynch's quirks and weirdness as a filmmaker the second season goes a little a little over the top (laughs) and into that world of yeah of the strange and sort of dream sequences and uh and just weirdness uh there's no better way to describe it it's just so odd and uh at at times you're like what the hell am i watching here (laughs) like what is this and why how does this go like how does this tie into the murder mystery in a washington you know small town but um yeah it's a really cool show and the first season is just amazing it it sort of you mentioned you said the word enchanting yeah it is yeah it's all on netflix to stream if you guys haven't seen it the pilot which is i believe 90 minutes long Uh could be its own standalone movie for sure and just like right off the bat draws you in I, i bet you you watch five minutes of the premiere and you'll end up watching the whole season within like a week or two. Yeah. And there's a lot of like, uh, you know, supernatural and, and, uh, I guess, I guess you would say like surrealistic elements to the show and, Mm -hmm. uh, some like horror, horror elements. Yeah. uh, There's some creepy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, like you said, the first, the first season and I guess the second season as well is all sort of focused around this murder of, uh, Laura Palmer actually in 92 uh they made a feature film called Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me yeah uh, which I never saw but it was it's one of those examples it's only happened a few times where a a TV series goes on to make a feature film so um I haven't seen it but I'm sure like the diehards have seen it and and broken it down you know this show kind of created its own culture and uh one of the first shows yeah one of the first shows to create that culture cult following and yeah. and really uh really have like a Fanatics group of fans that, that yeah that every became yeah. yeah they became nuts and and his david lynch's work is so perfect for that that culture to totally. to analyze all the little moments and like what did that mean and you know it's like it didn't mean didn't mean anything <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> right yeah ultimately like, I don't it's, know, it's, it's kind of cool. stupid yeah. <laughs> you know i, I don't know <laughs> right, yeah, I, I was i was a little yeah. bit struggling with the second season because it just got to i've be heard yeah that's a little bit over the top um but i loved the first season um i will i will go back and or i'm i'm excited to watch at least start the the third season and see where it goes and i hope it's great you know um mm-hmm. I'm rooting for it because uh, David Lynch is a fascinating filmmaker. Yeah, I got to imagine, like, I don't, Lynch doesn't seem the kind of guy that, like, oh, they just gave him a big enough paycheck and that's why he's getting into this. I mean, he's directing every episode. He must have a really compelling, fresh direction to take this in or else he wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. So that's, uh, I know and he, he doesn't work much. Yeah, no, he, I, yeah. What was the last movie? I feel like his last movie was well, like Mulholland <laughs> Drive and, like, 2003. Uh, I shouldn't say he doesn't work much. He, he just doesn't have a ton of uh, he has a band, a ton of new. You know he has a band, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean he's, <laughs> he's actually he's like a, his he's band a true now. artist. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean this guy this guy is uh, really fascinating. There's actually a really cool documentary um, I saw coming out. Oh yeah, I think it's out actually. I saw it in uh, I was playing at a New York theater. The art of art of life or something like that. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I, I forgot the title um, about yeah. David Lynch. So maybe that's uh, another thing people can check out. Um, before this season starts totally so yeah 
Twin I'm Peaks. I'm excited about this one. May 21st. Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's it for this episode of Must Go Faster. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. And uh, remember that our website is Must Go Faster Pod, where you can get all our episodes and uh, links to all our social media accounts. So uh, be sure to check that out as well. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with a new episode. Um, And in hopes of making the show a little more interactive, I wanted to mention our email address again, which is mgfpod at gmail.com. So we're looking for any thoughts or feelings on the show, topic ideas, criticism, any feedback you guys can think of. We'd love to hear from you. Um, Again, that's mgfpod at gmail.com. And in the words of Martin Freeman as Lester Nygaard from Fargo Season 1, and everybody else in the Fargo universe. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez.